passion, drive, and patience. The formula for winning championships is also what keeps your ride or die alive. eBay Motors has everything you need to maintain your vehicle and level it up to peak performance. Superchargers, roof racks, exhaust kits, LED headlights, and more. Whether you're into speed, power, or style, eBay Motors has you covered. With over 122 million parts for your number one ride or die, you'll always find exactly what you're looking for. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, your part is guaranteed to fit your ride every time or your money back. Because with eBay Motors, you're burning rubber, not cash. With all the parts you need at the prices you want, it's easy to make your car the MVP and bring home huge wins. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only, exclusions apply. If you've ever been in the market for a new home, you know home shopping can be a lot. There's so much you don't know and so much you need to know. What are the neighborhoods like? What are the schools like? Who is the agent who knows the listing or neighborhood best? And why can't all this information just be in one place? Well, now it is on homes.com. As somebody who's been through this, I can tell you these features are so, so incredibly valuable. They've got comprehensive neighborhood guides and detailed reports about local schools, and their agent directory helps you see the agent's current listings and sales history. The area you live in is just as important as the house itself. You can get to know a neighborhood without ever setting foot in it. Say you're a really active person. You could find out about the nearest parks. Do they have a baseball field? Maybe you want to join a softball league like Chris and I play in. Also, Homes.com collaboration tools makes it easier than ever to share all this information with your family. It's a whole cul-de-sac of home shopping information all at your fingertips. Homes.com. We've done your homework. Welcome to the Fantasy Baseball Today podcast from CBS Sports. And first pitch crushing. Got a fantasy question? Email fantasybaseball at cbsi.com. Get ready to win your league. Where fantasy becomes reality. Now, here's Frank, Scott, and Chris. Every offseason, there's that one podcast where things start to pick up. Sleepers, breakouts, and busts is that podcast. Welcome into Fantasy Baseball Today on Tuesday, January 31st. Frank Sample joined by Scott White and Chris Towers, the gang is back together. Today on the show, we're taking a little break from positional tiers to do our sleepers, breakouts, and busts 1.0. If you've been searching around on cbsports.com, you're starting to see the articles are rolling in. We've got sleepers 1.0. It's basically, we're releasing them at different times, but a whole bunch of different articles are coming out right now, so hopefully you're enjoying them. And this podcast basically accompanies all of those articles. Yeah. Scotty? Yeah. It's it's three weeks. I'll just lay it out for the people. All right. So last week I wrote sleepers. You wrote which one, Frank? Breakouts. Breakouts. And Chris wrote busts. And this week we kind of rotated. And the next week we'll rotate again. So you'll get a new sleepers, breakouts, and busts article for three weeks. But it'll be written. Each one will be written by a different one of us. Scott is much better at explaining things than I am. Very clearly. I'm really not. So. That was just easy to explain. <laughs> yes, uh, much easier than the way that I was breaking it down. Anyway, Scott, we'll start with you. We're jumping right in, and we are starting with your favorite sleeper, or the one that you most have have the most confidence in, the one you are drafting the most. Those could be all different players. Just yeah, give me those your are different things. <laughs> give me your favorite sleeper. Um, okay, well, I, I think I'm going to say as of today, and it changed just with developments this weekend 
Miguel Vargas is probably my favorite sleeper at the moment. Now, I did already have him in Sleepers 1.0. I liked him all along because I thought Dodgers, they're going youth movement this year. This was something Ken Rosenthal wrote about during the winter meetings. And Why aren't the Dodgers big players? Well, it looks like they're going to start to work in these young guys that they've that, that have been bottlenecking at the top of their system, maybe with the idea of making a run at Shohei Otani next offseason. Who knows? But right now, they got holes aplenty. And it's hard to imagine the guy who uh, they kept putting off bringing up last year, even though he was crushing it at AAA, Miguel Vargas. It's hard to imagine he wouldn't be a major part of that. And it sounds like he is a major part of that. It, GM Andrew Friedman uh, is he the GM or is he the president of baseball operations? Who cares? It's 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 role inflation. It's the same basic thing. Whatever he's he's the head of the front office, Andrew Friedman for the Dodgers, and he is saying that Vargas could open the season as the team's primary second baseman, a position that he's dabbled with in the minors, but you know primarily a third baseman. They're currently eligible at first base in fantasy because that's where he saw the most action. Uh, when he get the little bit of time he did see in the majors, also played some left field. Uh, I was thinking that's where he would ultimately wind up. And I'm guessing he'll play some of all four of those positions this year for the Dodgers, knowing the Dodgers. But second base sounds like uh, the easiest opening for him. And, and maybe the position, maybe the uh, of the um, scarcer positions, maybe the one where he picks up eligibility first. And that would be really exciting because this guy can hit. He hit like, over 300 every stop in the minors and like every scouting report agrees that is something Miguel Vargas is going to do. Hits a lot of line drives, hits the ball the other way well, uh, makes doesn't strike out the plate discipline exactly. There are questions as to how much power potential he has. I think just looking at him, six foot three, really athletic build, like the way he stands at the plate reminds me of Miguel Cabrera. I have a good feeling that the power is going to be. Uh, above average to good. And uh, with that premium eligibility on top of it, a chance for maybe some stolen bases because he runs pretty fast and stealing bases is going to be a lot easier in the majors next year. I think Miguel Vargas is somebody who you can draft. He's somebody you could draft very late and, and the results could uh, could blow his ADP away. Fair enough. Chris, you are up your favorite sleeper uh, based on early ADP. I'll go with a, a little bit of a homer pick and go with a, one of the new stallions. And stop me if you heard this one before, but the Marlins have a, a very interesting pitching prospect. I, I guess he's not a prospect anymore. He lost his eligibility, but he's gigantic and he throws 98 miles an hour and he's got an amazing changeup. It's Edward Cabrera this time. You know, that's been true of Trevor Rogers and Sandy Alcantara and all kinds of guys in the past and is still true of a couple of guys coming up in the minors. But Edward Cabrera coming off a season where he had a 301 ERA and about 75 major league in 71 major league innings, more than a strikeout per inning. He has been since he got to the high minors, he's had some struggles with his ERA, 3.72 ERA, 4.8 walks per nine. That's the issue at AAA, but obvious swing and miss potential. I mean, you watch him pitch. He had that start against the Rockies. I think it was his first start of last season where he was throwing 96-mile-an-hour changeups. He looked like the the second coming of Sandy Alcantara. I don't think he's going to be that good, although he might have you know, better pure swing and miss stuff than Alcantara does right now. He's... Got the the changeup that he used as his primary pitch last season. 
33% whiff rate. He had three different secondary pitches that had at least a 32% whiff rate. Big, fast, big fastball. Throws hard. There are injury concerns. He's a young pitcher. He's a young Marlins pitcher. That tends to go with the territory. But the the price outside of the top 200, you can get him with your 20th pick on average right now. I think Edward Cabrera's got big potential with a, a franchise that at this point I think it makes sense to bet on with their young pitchers. You know, they haven't all hit, but the last two or three seasons, betting on young Marlins pitchers to figure it out has been a pretty lucrative uh, position. Chris, Chris, give me some give me some of this, man. Hit me up top, baby. I wrote about Edward Cabrera as well as one of my sleepers, 1.0. I wanted to write about Miguel Vargas, but I knew that Scott already did, so I didn't want to steal the thunder there. But I did write about Edward Cabrera as well. A lot of the reasons you mentioned there, Chris, I mean, the repertoire is sick. He throws nearly 100 miles per hour. He's got the three secondary pitches up over a 30% whiff rate. He gets ground balls. Great job limiting hard contact. It's really just the control. That's the biggest Mm -hmm. downside. Uh, Over four walks per nine. He had three or more walks in eight of his 14 starts. More than half. I mean, that is a problem. But and it, it's the kind of thing where it wasn't really a problem in the minors until he got to triple A. You know, you look at his minor league career and it's like 2.5 walks per nine at double A, 2.8 at, at high A. Um, so it gives me hope that, you know, he can start to throw strikes a little more. And, and I think the, the fastball is going to be key because this is a kind of a Marlins trait where they've got these guys who throw really hard, but they don't necessarily have great fastballs. It's, it's a weird, uh, I don't know. It's an organizational tick, I guess that they just, they don't necessarily the vertical approach angle thing. You know, I think that's where the, the Marlins tend to, to fall short, but the ground balls, the strikeouts, the swings and misses are there. If he can just have decent control, let alone making the kind of leap that Sandy Alcantara has made over the past couple of seasons, there, there's really high upside. Look, not, top five starting pitcher upside like Sandy Alcantara has had, and especially given Cabrera's had some some injury issues, but I think there's a ton of upside here. I like that you keep mentioning Sandy Alcantara too, and look, it's a very lofty comparison. I understand that, but prior to 2021, Sandy Alcantara had a four walks per nine in his career at that time, and then he just improved. He got better. His control got a, bu- a lot better. The strikeouts got better, and he just improved as a pitcher, so... And- these things can happen, especially for a young starting pitcher. I, I would rule it out. This is clearly, you know, I think a thing that the Marlins are doing organizationally because you look at Sandy, big, skinny, lanky right-hander who had struggles with his control early on. Edward Cabrera is another one like that. Yuri Perez actually has, like, barely walked anybody in his major league career, but he's also, like, a Jack Skellington type of guy. He's, like, six foot nine. 210 pounds and throws really hard. So there's clearly something that they're looking for and they've had success with this profile. So I I do think, look, I wouldn't bet on Marlins hitters, but uh, pitchers, I think they've earned the benefit of the doubt here. All right. I just looked up Jack Skellington. (laughs) You you didn't know who that was, Scott? No, I didn't know who that was. Oh, that's a a movie reference Frank got ahead of Scott. There you go. (laughs) Look at That's me. First. New year, new Frank. Watching movies. Just kidding. I haven't seen that movie in uh, probably two decades, if we're being honest. Um, early ADP for Edward Cabrera is 233.7. He is going after some, I guess you call them boring starting pitchers, like Tyler Anderson and Miles Michaelis and Merrill Kelly and those guys. If you need innings at that point in your draft, sure, take those guys. But if you just want upside, 
I, I think Edward Cabrera is probably the way that I would go uh, mm-hmm. with those picks. Favorite sleeper for me, and I, it's probably more undervalued. He's not going super late in drafts. Um, you know, going inside the top 200 is Rowdy Telez. And I think we spoke about him last week when we did first and third base tiers. But uh, I, I just think the batting average is going to improve this upcoming season with the shift ban. Roddy Telez was one of 10 players, hit 35-plus home runs last year. We know power is a little bit harder to come by in this environment. And according to Sports Info in Solutions, uh, in, in Solutions, I just put the words Info and Solutions together. Info Solutions is what I meant to say. Uh, Telez lost 15 hits to the full shift last year. With those hits, he would have batted 248. His expected batting average, according to StatCast, was 252. It makes a bunch of sense. Uh, he changed mm-hmm. his launch angle last year. He hit more fly balls. The barrel rate, fourth best among uh, qualified first baseman last year. There's a lot to like with Rowdy Telez. With the shift restrictions, I think he's closer to 250, 30-plus home runs. If you wait on first base or you just need a corner infielder with pop, you know, going around pick 175, I love it. I, I think Rowdy Telez is really underdrafted uh, in early drafts here. Scotty, you're shaking your head. Chris, do we have no, any I'm thoughts? Nodding. I'm nodding my head. Yeah, oh, yeah I guess nodding your head. Yeah, that would make you called sense. you called nodding shaking, even though they are opposites. Yeah, I'm kind of all over the place here, but it's fine. I struggle with a player like Rowdy Telez just because last season it was so hit or miss. It was like one great week, one terrible week. It was very, very up and down for him, and that's true for a lot of hitters. Hitting is very difficult, but I struggle because that's what his breakout was like. Um, but yeah, I think the case for him is pretty good. Hitting, you know, up power is harder to come by these days. He seems to have a lot of it. So I think it's fine. I, I I don't think that there's like a giant leap coming. I still think teams are going to figure out, you know, the best places to position against him. But I, I think there's plenty to like in the skill set, especially at a, you know, a relatively cheap price. And, and I don't think the argument is that a giant leap is coming. The biggest yeah. leap came last year. It's just that that leap's not being properly appreciated. And as Frank points out, uh, I, I think there's there's room for correction in the batting average. Yep. Uh, Roddy Tellez finished as a top 100 player in Roto Leagues last year. That was with a 219 batting average. His ADP is 167. So again, he's just... Not really being appreciated for his breakout last season. Uh, had you guys send me over three of your favorite sleepers, breakouts, and busts. So we already talked about each of our you know top favorites, which means we have two left. Scotty, give me those two <laughs> other sleepers that you like here uh, in early ADP. Ah, uh, uh, twofer, huh? Yeah. Okay. All right, let's start with the one that's not going to make people groan and roll their eyes, uh, and that's <laughs> that's Brian De La Cruz. Uh, Marlon's outfielder, who, if you tuned out in September because you were out of it, you were you were transitioning to fantasy football, whatever, that you missed that Brian De La Cruz came back up after a stint in the minors and hit 388 with six home runs and 10 doubles over his final 25 games. Just monster production there at the end for Brian De La Cruz. And he, he talked about making some changes to his mechanics and especially his approach, the way he... Uh, uh, the way he um, kind of kind of developed a better understanding of what pitchers were doing to him. But what's funny is, you know, if, even if you don't isolate it to that 25-game period where Brian De La Cruz went off, you just look at the full season data for him. It's pretty impressive. Average exit velocity was 82nd percentile. His expected batting average and expected slug 
we're both better than Rafael Devers. And I, I'm saying that's for the full season, Brian De La Cruz. And like Rafael Devers isn't some weird outlier. He 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 scores high and expected, but very high and expected batting average and expected slug as you'd expect. Brian De La Cruz's numbers were even better as far as that goes. Uh, and he has a track record of success in the minors. Two years ago, he got traded from the Astros to the Marlins in the Yimi Garcia deal. He was hitting 324 with an 880 OPS for the Astros AAA affiliate. So it looks like there's legit talent here for Brian De La Cruz. I don't think he's going to have an especially long leash because uh, you know he hasn't earned that, but it's not like the Marlins have a lot else going on in their outfield so uh if he you know if he just picks up where he left off left off or you know even anywhere close to that then i imagine he's going to carve it out an everyday role in short order and uh could turn into a pretty nice find not not a slow runner either so there's a chance as for every player who's not a slow runner that brian de la cruz could be a, a nice undervalued source of source of stolen bases on top of the hitting yeah, I like the early ADP, 251.3 for Brian De La Cruz. Roster Resource has him penciled in as the starting left fielder for the Marlins as of now. I remember that late season tear because I was going up against him in the Tout Wars finals. Greg Jewett had Brian De La Cruz. I remember every day it felt like he was having some kind of monster game. Doubles, home runs. He was awesome. So let's see if he can uh, pick it back up. Scott, who was the other sleeper you had here? All right, get ready to groan and roll your eyes. This is this is like when Chris calls Giancarlo Stanton a sleeper every year. <laughs> but for me, it's uh, it's Charlie Morton. It's ah. Charlie. Morton. All right, let me make let me make the case for Charlie Morton because I think it's a pretty good one. Okay, so he's being written off, right? Drafted outside the top fifty starting pitchers. People are just done with Charlie Morton. Didn't live up to their expectation. He's thirty nine years old, so it must just be over, right? He's over. He's old. Still struck out 205 batters last year. It was the ninth most in baseball. Uh, so, like, stuff. He had stuff striking out that many batters. And, you know, there was no decline in in uh, velocity. He was still spinning that curveball at, like, 3,000 RPM. Still a total outlier as far as that goes. And, um, you know, I look at all those rates, the swinging strike rate, all, all of that. It was pretty much identical to his dominant 2021. So there, there isn't that obvious skills decline that you'd expect from a 39-year-old. What changed for Charlie Morton is that in a year when home runs declined across the league, his spiked. He allowed, I think it was 10 more home runs than he ever has allowed before, was a fly ball pitcher for the first time in his career, just wasn't burying his pitches the way we're used to him doing. But that seems like a pretty small thing. Like something was going on in the delivery, maybe some kind of mechanical thing was off, and he just wasn't able to get it quite right all season. He did get a little better over the course of the season, but he didn't get back to where we're used to seeing Charlie Morton, which is why he got crushed on those home runs. I think it's a small thing. I think it's something that with some downtime he's going to be able to fix. Um, if there was some obvious skills decline going on there uh, maybe i'd be scared away by the age as well but that that's not what i'm seeing when i look deeper at charlie morton and i think a big bounce back uh potential top 15 season even could be in store for charlie morton it looked like he was really lacking control i remember last year he was just missing his spots his walk rate 3.3 walks per nine his highest since 2018 
He gave up a lot of hard contact, and he gave up all those home runs, Scott. So that all kind of adds up to me. Lack of control, lack of command, maybe just missing your spots a little bit uh, and getting hit hard as a result of that. Now, you know, is that, a, is that you know, signs of age? And, you know, you just kind of lost that pinpoint accuracy? Maybe. You know, we'll find out. He is also one year further removed from that broken leg, which he suffered in the uh, previous year's World Series. So, you know, maybe one year uh, further away from that. He'll be a little bit healthier this year. The early ADP for Charlie Morton is 163.7. He's going right before Chris Sale. Scott, someone else I know you also wrote up as a sleeper. Yep. Uh, who, and I like Sale more. Okay. I'd, I'd draft him in the reverse of that order. Cool. But it's pretty close. Generally, whichever of the when one of those two goes, I draft the other. That's that's typically how it's gone. All right. Well, you answered my question, Scott. Chris Sale or Charlie Morton? Scotty does like Chris Sale a little bit more. Uh, Chris, the other two sleepers you wanted to mention were Bike. Yeah, I've got a couple of bounce back candidates, and I think they both have fairly s- straightforward explanations for why they struggled last year. The first one's Brandon Lau, who he just wasn't healthy. You know, he was dealing with that back issue, but it wasn't like a stress fracture in his back. It wasn't, you know, some kind of serious injury. He didn't have surgery for it. So I'm hopeful that an off season away, you know, he got shut down, I think in August, uh, hopefully it, that'll help him get back to full health. And what we've seen from him, you know, from 2019 through 2021, he played 287 games. He had an 870 OPS, 258 batting average, 39 homers per 162 games, eight stolen bases. And you can say, well, you're throwing two partial seasons in there. Well, in 2021, he had 39 homers and seven stolen bases. So that's actually what he did in a full season. He doesn't really have significant platoon issues for his career. He does strike out a lot against lefties. It's like a 28% strikeout rate for his career against lefties. But 751 OPS against lefties, that'll play. Even for a team like the Rays, you know, that's not necessarily must bench territory. He'll get the occasional day off. But you look at it last season and didn't see a huge increase in strikeouts. You know, the quality of contact metrics weren't quite where they've been, but 112 mile per hour at max exit velo was actually the second highest of his career. His average exit velo pretty close to where he was. His launch angle pretty close to where it's been. So I think all of the signs point to just he didn't hit the ball as well last season. And the fact that he was dealing with a lingering back injury seems like a pretty good explanation for it. So he's someone who his, uh, his price has taken a real hit. I think he's below. He's the second Lyle taken or low taken. Uh, Nathaniel Lowe is about 60 spots ahead of him. He's 168.6. We know second base is a tough position to fill. I think Brandon Lau is going to be someone who, you know, is a pretty good bat for, I don't want to say he's a good bet for 30 homers, but that's kind of my expectation if he plays a full season. So I think Brandon Lyle is going to have a nice bounce back. And I think the same is true of Jesse Winker, who just was awful last season, but had been really good again for like the previous three seasons before that. There are platoon split issues with him as well, a little more so than Brandon Lyle, I would guess. But he's got a big, big positive park shift coming his way, safe or T-Mobile excuse me, I, I still live in like 2012, uh, is one of the hardest parks for left-handed batters uh, in baseball. American Family Field in Milwaukee is one of the best. I think it was fifth in home run park factors last season. We've seen uh, you know, Christian Yelich have great seasons there. We, I'm trying to think of the, the, the guy who's on the Reds now, the third baseman who played second base for the Brewers. I'm completely blanking on his name right now. Um, Mike Moustakis? 
Mike Mostakis had a couple of good, uh, you know, good like season and a half with them. That was a good park for him. So I just think it's uh, if Jesse Winker's healthy and he had two different kinds of surgeries this offseason, but if he's back, uh, I love taking him with one of my last picks. I absolutely love this call, too. And Scotty cut out for now. He actually just texted me. I think his internet cut out. So he'll be back. But I know Scott wrote up Jesse Winker as a sleeper. And I actually let off my uh, sleeper sweep. My sleepers 1.0 article with I wanted to write about Jesse Winker, but you guys already did it. So it didn't really make sense for me to triple down on Jesse Winker. But I am all in as well. The early ADP is 258. He's going super late. The health is an issue. There's no doubt about that. He had knee and neck surgeries this offseason, but he is entering a contract year, and Mm -hmm. people just find a way, Chris. I mean, in those contract years, to to find a way and stay healthy. So uh, even if he plays like 120, 130 games, Winker could could find a way to be awesome in those games. Uh, He did it, you know, two years ago. In 110 games with the Reds, 305 batting average, 24 homers. He was one of the you know 10, 15 best hitters in in baseball that season. He he is someone who I think like there are real reasons to be concerned about counting stats, whether it's staying healthy, whether it's playing every day because of platoon issues, whatever it is. You know he's never put up really big counting stats, but I just think on a per game basis, you're probably looking at a guy who's a 850 plus OPS bat if he's healthy. And, you know, when he was costing a top 70 pick last year, that was too much given the the park. But now, you know, when he's outside of the top 250 in ADP, I, I love Jesse Winker this year. And I will point out with Brandon Lau, you mentioned how good he was from 2019 to 2021. Mm-hmm. Premier power at the second base position, which we're not normal. We're not used to seeing. It's really just, you know, Brandon Lau and Max Muncie above everyone else. 70 home runs from 2019 to 2021, third best at the position. And that was only playing 85 games in 2019. Yeah, 869 OPS, that was second best, a 14.7% barrel rate. That was the best among second basemen during that time period. The ADP for Brandon Lau is 169. Uh, Would you take him over Jake Cronenworth and Jorge Polanco? Yeah, I'd take him over each of those guys. I think he has more upside. I think it is really close with Polanco because we saw him put together a top 40 season in 2021 mm-hmm. as well. I think there's some bounce back potential. I think it's really close between those two, uh, but I definitely would take Lau over Jake Cronenworth. The other two sleepers for me that I wanted to mention, Ray Detmers had such an interesting season last year, Chris. I remember so vividly, he threw that no-hitter early on in the season. I think it was May. And we came on here. We came on like immediately after the game. We are just like, this guy stinks. <laughs> That's exactly right. We were crapping on Reed Detmers, the whole YouTube chat. You know, they were fed up with us. How can you not give this guy his credit? He threw a no-hitter. Well, if you look at the time, he wasn't striking anyone out. He he, averaging under 6K per nine at the time. Swinging strike rate, I think, was under 8%. Uh, And lo and behold, six starts later, he actually got sent back down to the minors to, you know, refine uh, his pitch mix, right? And he basically redid his slider, reshaped it. And when he returned, he was a new pitcher. His final 13 starts... Reed Detmers had a 3.04 ERA, 78 strikeouts, over 71 innings pitched, a 13% swinging strike rate. That is a near elite swinging strike rate uh, and basically doubled his slider usage from earlier in the season to that second half of the season. So changed the slider up, used it more. It was really effective. And he was actually known for his curveball coming up throughout the minors. So now he's got those two pitches. You know, the fastball is okay, but if he's got those two secondaries that are really good, the ADP for Reed Detmers is 218.3. 
He's going behind Sonny Gray and Tyler Anderson. You know, much like Edward Cabrera, I just think there's more upside with someone like Reed Detmers. So I would take him over those names. And then one more here, a post-hype sleeper, Chris, C.J. Abrams, who I think in hindsight now, we could probably say confidently that he was rushed to the majors last season. He was on the opening day roster for the Padres. He only had 42 games above high A in 2021. And the next level he played in was the major leagues uh, with the San Diego Padres last year. So, you know, I think he was probably rushed and then he was traded in that Juan Soto deal, huge blockbuster deal. So there's a lot going on for a 21 year old kid, but Eventually, he did some nice things with the Nationals. His final 28 games, C.J. Abrams hit 314 with five steals. That is a 26-steal pace over 150 games. That speed is 70 grade. That is his highest-ranked tool coming up as a prospect. But the batting average could be really good as well. Power, I'm not really sure where what we're going to get. You know, maybe 8 to 10 home runs. So, you know, factor that in. You're not going to get much power from him, at least not yet. But the batting average and the speed could be really good for C.J. Abrams in his second season. And he's basically being buried, Chris. The ADP is 271.7. He's going behind Christopher Morell. Morell, I think, has some upside as well. I just kind of worry about the playing time with him. Uh, but behind Mondesi and Bryson Stott, I'd rather take a shot on C.J. Abrams over uh, those last two names I mentioned, uh, Mondesi and Stott. Anything on these two, Detmers and Abrams? One thing I wonder with... CJ Abrams is if there's like the name that I come back to when I think about him is Victor Robles, who really highly ranked prospect coming up, got called up as a 21 year old, didn't play a ton, didn't really play until he was 22 in the major league level. But this guy only played 111 games between double A or 101 games, excuse me, between double A and triple A. I mean, he was really, you know, moved quickly through the minors. I think he dealt with some injuries as well, but. You know, I, I wonder if like that's there's some hesitance there because the Nationals' track record in developing these guys hasn't been great the last couple of seasons. You know, Carter Keyboom, another guy who had some hype who who hasn't developed. I think the Nationals have kind of, you know, sort of the Marlins, how we were talking about with their pitchers, where they've earned the benefit of the doubt. I think the Nationals have kind of lost it a little bit. But you know, I don't know if that's necessarily fair to to C.J. Abrams, and he does have that one potential elite carrying tool. And he's also produced, you know, at the high minors. It's a very small sample size, and in his case, only 80 games between double A AA and triple A. But he's hit above 300. He's got 27 steals in those 80, 80 games. So, like, this is a potential 35, 40 plus steal guy. So, if nothing else, you know, that that's going to help him contribute to your team. All right. Well, let's hit a break. Before we do that, just want to. Remind everybody that the programming schedule this week, we've got sleepers, breakouts, and busts today. We've got outfield tiers tomorrow, starting pitcher tiers the day after that. And then we have a live head-to-head points mock draft this Thursday night. I believe 9.30 p.m. Eastern time is what we're shooting for there. It's going to be live on YouTube with the draft board. It's going to be uh, Chris Towers. Chris Welsh is going to be here, Scott and myself. So we're going to have some fun with that. Uh, you can watch it live. That's going to be in your podcast feed on Friday morning as a two-part podcast. Uh, and just a reminder again, for those watching us live on YouTube, thank you. Uh, if you haven't already, please make sure to subscribe. And we have a TikTok account. If you haven't followed us there yet, it's at FBT pod. We've got some short FBT clips that we throw on there, put some highlights on there, some music, have some fun. TikTok.com slash at FBT pod. Make sure to follow. We'll take a break and be back right after this. 
take your business further with the smart and flexible American Express Business Gold Card. You can earn four times points on your top two eligible spending categories every month, like transit, U.S. restaurants, and gas stations. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Four times points on up to $150,000 in purchases per year. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash businessgoldcard. Worn by players like Michael Harris to meet the demand of elite ball players, the New Balance Fuel Cell 4040 V7 is a versatile option. The 4040 V7 is built for the athlete who needs responsiveness and ability to cut and run at their full speed. The model features a fuel cell foam underfoot and a synthetic and mesh upper to provide breathability, comfort, and a snug fit as you round the bases. The fuel cell midsole features nitrogen-infused foam specifically designed to propel athletes forward. Learn more about the 4040 at newbalance.com. Originally, I had some news and notes here, but I'm going to save those for tomorrow. I want to get to as many of these breakouts and busts as we can. But Chris, 30 minutes in, we've only got the sleepers. So we've got to move a little bit quicker gotta, here. Gotta pick up the pace. Uh, we are waiting for Scotty to get back in, but we will start back. We'll start off here uh, once again with your favorite breakout. Chris, who do you have? My favorite breakout. I'm going to go with Riley Green. I mm. really talked myself into Riley Green. Uh, partially the, the changes to the dimensions at Comerica park should really help, uh, you know, obviously the foot injury last season. I, I think this is always something that I struggle with, with young players is like get hurt during spring training. And then you got to start your whole season over. He doesn't have that base to build on and he never really, you know, found himself at the major league level at 682 OPS. That's right around league average. Once you account for the park factor last year, but not what we expected from him, but I do think like, man, he sported above average exit velocities and hard hit rates despite the missed time. You know, his sprint speed and his stolen base numbers weren't great, but he's coming back from a broken foot. I think you can chalk that up to that. But, you know, the strikeout rate, 29%, that's alarming. But he was like middle of the pack in both chase rate and contact rate. When you dig into the 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 plate discipline metrics, there wasn't really anything all that alarming except the way he finished off his plate appearances. And that was kind of the concern last season, but I think he's, he's young enough. He's skilled enough. And there are enough things to like about the skill set that I still think this is a tremendously talented player who could be, I mean, he was a top 150 pick last year, this year, his ADP, where, where's his ADP? It's outside of the top 200 now, right? It's pushing 200. It's at 189.7. Okay. So Justin, there you go. Uh, I guess at, at CBS so far, it's very much later than that, but we, it's a very small sample size. So I think you can chalk that up to that. But yeah, I think there's just a lot to like about Riley Green. Definitely falls into the post-hype sleeper, post-hype breakout, whatever you want to classify it as. But I think there's a lot to like about his profile. I really talked myself into him. Chris? Give me another one. Give me another one. We got another high five here. I wrote up Riley Green as a sleeper and... Look, sleeper versus breakout, you could ask, you know, different people, you'll get a different, you know, answer. Uh, for me, I think breakout has a little bit more upside. I do think the yep. upside is kind of capped on Riley Green just because he plays for the Tigers. So I have yeah. questions about the counting stats, but uh, I do like him as a sleeper for a lot of the reasons you mentioned. You put his rookie season in perspective. Uh, fractured foot on April 2nd, didn't debut until June 18th, and all of the Tigers were terrible. Yeah, I, I don't know that that you know, does that make it right <laughs> that uh, Riley Green wasn't great? It didn't help, 
you know, that, that everyone around him wasn't really performing well either. Basically, all the changes to the dimensions in Comerica Park are for Riley Green. I mean, it's center field, right center, and right field. They're pulling the walls back there. And he What's did- amazing, it's still 412 to center, yeah. which is still one of like the five longest uh, dimensions in baseball. They're moving it in 10 feet and it's still one of the longest. It's crazy. It's just absolutely crazy. But they lowered the fences all the way around. I think it's seven feet all the way around. It was like eight and a half feet and 13 feet in the power alleys uh, before this. So I I think it'll be a a nice change. Uh, But you're right. He did hit the ball extremely hard. And one thing I noticed, he had a lot of ground balls last year, 56%. If you Mm -hmm. look at his minor league numbers from uh, 2021 and earlier, that wasn't really an issue for him. He didn't really struggle, you know, hitting a lot of ground balls. So I think if he raises that launch angle, you know, we could push 20 home runs, good batting average, chip in, you know, seven, eight steals, something like that. Uh, and and that's what a sleeper looks like as your, you know, fourth outfielder in a five outfielder league. So uh, I do like Riley Green quite a bit myself. And favorite breakout for me, I believe someone we both wrote about here, Chris, it's Eloy Jimenez. I mean, yeah. I'm pretty sure I've had him as a breakout each year I've been at CBS, so I, I just can't stop now. He missed a big chunk of time last year, as Eloy Jimenez always does. And welcome back to Scott White, who is here, and we're back, excited. Baby. You're just in time, Scott, yeah. to give us your favorite breakout uh, right after I break down Eloy Jimenez. He missed a lot of time last year, but once again, when you think you're out, he pulls you back in, finishes off the final three months, 305 batting average, 15 home runs, 92.9 mile per hour average exit velocity with a 15.7% barrel rate. When Eloy Jimenez is going, you know, he can be one of the top 10, top 15 power hitters in the game. It's just a he matter of him staying like, on the field. He could be like Jose Abreu was for them, given the fact that he doesn't strike out all that much. He's never going to be a high batting average guy. He's probably not going to score a lot of runs. Like you're really hoping that he's a big contributor in batting average home runs and RBI. But you know, like we've seen at the best of Jose Abreu, he, you know, I think Eloy Jimenez has the ability to be that. Yeah. And if you look at the early ADP right now, 74.7. So he's going a little bit earlier, but man, if he can just stay healthy for 130, 140 games, I think we can get that, you know, 280, 290 batting average, 30 to 35 home runs, you know, big counting stats type season that we just haven't seen yet. He's going just after George Springer, who has, you know, injury concerns himself. He's a little bit more proven. I guess if you want to lean that way, you can. Uh, Starling Marte, there's a report he may not be ready for the start of spring training. So you got some injury concerns there, but still think there's a lot of upside with Eloy Jimenez, which brings us to Scotty. Your favorite breakout is blank. Vinny P, baby. Oh, yes. Of course it is. Of course. And it's a popular breakout pick. I'm that's, actually that's the uh, the Olive Garden breadstick of the breakouts right. group. <laughs> I'm actually having more trouble drafting him than I thought I would. But to actually to, to, to put numbers on it, Vinny Pasquantino, of course, was a monster in the minors uh, each of the last two years. But... You know, he he was a little slow out of the gate when the Royals finally called him up last year. And um, I think people lost some faith in him. Down the stretch, he blew up. So over his final 40 games, Vinny Pasquantino had 362 with seven home runs, a 996 OPS. He had 21 walks versus 12 strikeouts during that 40-game stretch. 
And, and that's what stands out most for Vinny Pasquantino. It was true in the minors, and it was true in his uh, first taste of the majors as well. As for somebody who imp- impacts the ball like a middle-of-the-order bat, his max exit velocity, 87th percentile. His average exit velocity doesn't have a percentile rating for that, but it was you know, right around what uh, Ronald Acuna and Manny Machado, right around what a lot of early round types were doing for the average exit velocity. So for somebody who impacts the ball that hard, Vinny Pasquantino makes a crazy amount of contact. His 11.4% strikeout rate would have been it would have been seventh best among qualifiers. It would have been there with like Nico Horner and Yandy Diaz and Jeff Mc- <laughs> a little behind Jeff McNeil, you know, the real slap hitter types. But but Pasquantino impacts the ball a lot harder than that. He he walks a ton as well. It's just a great uh if it unless speed is what you're looking for, it is everything you could want from a hitter. Uh, is Vinny Pasquantino delivers. And obviously at first base, not a lot of speedsters there to begin with. So I would say that, you know, ba- basically basically around the time, you know, you got the obvious top five at first baseman, Vladimir, Freeman, Alonzo, Goldschmidt, and Olsen. And pretty much right after that, you could look at drafting Pasquantino as your starter at first base. I do rank Jose Abreu ahead of him, which is why I've had, probably why I've had trouble getting Pasquantino. I think people are undervaluing Abreu. Uh, but, you know, I've I've considered, as we talked about in the first base tiers last week, I've considered tiering both Abreu and Pasquantino with Matt Olson. That's how much I like both of them. You know, the comp I keep coming back to with Pasquantino is Anthony Rizzo. It, it's not going to be quite perfect because I don't know if you guys remember, but Anthony Rizzo actually like prime like, Rizzo. Yeah, prime. Like he, he yeah. used to steal bases, which Vinny Pasquantino is not going to do. Anthony Rizzo had 17 stolen bases in 2015. I might take the under on Vanny Pasquantino's <laughs> career stolen bases if he set it at 17. So, you know, he's not going to do that, but like solid 280 to 290 batting average, 30 homers every year, good counting stats. Like that's the kind of player that Vinny Pasquantino can be. Everything that was in his control as a rookie he was great at the plate yeah. discipline. He had more walks and strikeouts. He hit the ball extremely hard as a left-handed batter. He was awesome against left-handed pitching, which again is something I love to see from a young hitter. So everything that he could control, he was great at. The only things I worry about are out of his control is just the Royals lineup, not being great. You know, maybe they improve this year. They've got Salvador Perez, Bobby Wood Jr. Maybe MJ Melendez takes a step forward and the ballpark, the ballpark's not great either, but you know, outside of those things, Man, Vinny Pasquantino, he looks like the real deal. And he's an awesome guy, too. Like, go follow him on Twitter. He's, like, really awesome on social media. And I heard him on the Beat the Shift podcast with our buddy Ariel Cohen. And he's just a good dude. So uh, I'm rooting for Vinny Pasquantino. Uh, I do agree, Scott. I like Jose Bray a little bit more. But uh, I like Vinny P more than Nathaniel Lowe, who they're basically oh, yeah. they have the same ADP right now, according to Fantasy Pros. So mm, That's uh, surprising. That's that's the I way I am a lot think. more than Lowe. Yeah. yeah, yeah, I agree with that, too. Uh, Chris, the other two... Other two breakouts that you have here. Your first one was Riley Green. Who else do you have? Yeah, I mean, Corbin Carroll is kind of a free spot on the board. Top, arguably the top prospect in baseball. I think, you know, the the profile is incredibly fantasy friendly. If it all works out, he could be a legitimate five category guy. Um, there are some concerns about like the quality of contact and everything that, but he was the fastest base runner in baseball last season. So he should be a legitimate contender 
for, you know, some stolen base leader titles. And I mean, if everything comes together, I'm trying to think of like a, a reasonable comp because Trey Turner's on unfair, but like, that's the kind of talent we're talking about. You know, a guy who Stalling Marte, viewed, Chris Stalling Marte, sure, Stalling Marte. Yeah. 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 I mean, Corbin Carroll is a, he's a little on the small side. He's like 5'10", 170, but the, the Diamondbacks, you know, have done a good job of developing their young outfielders. His, you know, by all accounts, his makeup suggests that he's going to be the kind of guy who gets the most out of his skill set. And his skill set's pretty impressive based on what we've seen in the minors. Seven, 24 homers, 31 steals, just 93 games in the minors last season. This is a potentially very fantasy-friendly profile for uh, Corbin Carroll there. And then I don't want to keep throwing out unreasonable comps, but hey, we're going to keep doing it. Dustin May reminds me a lot of Sir Sandy Alcantara three years ago. Doesn't obviously Sandy Alcantara, Alcantara is his own kind of freak in terms of the the workload that he's able to generate, but the the comp here is just you watch Dustin May pitch, you watch a young Sandy Alcantara pitch, and it's like, why doesn't this guy get more strikeouts? His stuff is unhittable. Well, he pitches to contact, and nobody can make good contact with his stuff. This is Dustin May puts up really, really impressive quality of contact numbers consistently. 358 expected Wobon contact allowed for his career. That's below the major league average. And we've seen stretches from Dustin May, especially in 2021 before he needed Tommy John surgery or where his curveball was playing up. He was getting a lot more whiffs and he looked like he was potentially developing into a front of the line starter. I love this kind of profile because I think if Dustin May's out there and he's healthy, he's going to be a very good pitcher, even if he doesn't take a step forward. But if he can get more whiffs, if he can cut his walk rate down from what it was last season, he's someone who has legitimate, you know, top 20 starting pitcher upside, at least, you know, on a per inning basis. Chris, Chris, hit me with another one. Let's go. The trifecta. Dustin May also in my breakouts 1.0. Uh, last yeah, year. He's going to be in mine too, actually. There we so go. Dude, clean sweep. Clean sweep. Uh, basically, you know, I'm, I'm kind of giving him a pass for last year. 30 innings pitched, uh, coming back from Tommy John surgery. In that time, still posted 82nd percentile spin rates on his fastball. 100th percentile spin rate on his curveball. So spin rates are out of this world. Uh, and as you mentioned, Chris, pre-Tommy John in 2021, kind of looked like Dustin May was already breaking out. Uh, you know, maybe only 120, 130 innings this upcoming season, but he could have a Tony Gonsolin-esque impact mm -hmm. in those innings uh, this upcoming season. Scotty, your other two breakouts, your first one was Vinny P, baby. Yeah. All right, this is another potential eye roller. But, you know, the longer the longer it gets put off, the breakout or the, the sleeper, whatever it ends up being, uh, the, the harder you need to lay, lean into it because the, the more people are backing off. And that's Corey Seager. Corey Seager, we've talked on this podcast about how he has uh, early round, like Freddie Freeman type hitting potential that he hasn't quite realized yet. And he finally with the power he did take that big step forward last year 33 home runs uh it was more than double the previous year of course you know there were some health issues that that limited to only 16 in 2021 but it was previous career high was 26 and that was a long time ago so he got to 33 we we're waiting to see from Corey Seager power wise the problem was he hit only 245 so he lost the consistent batting average that we had gotten used to seeing with him being such a great line drive hitter 
You, you look deeper at it, and it pretty much comes down to the shifts. So uh, left-handed batter, obviously, Corey Seager. But he had you know done, done fine against the shift previously, well over 300 against it every year. Of course, that's taken the strikeouts out, so it's, it's taking... You know, it's kind of misleading when you just look at a player's batting average against the splits because it's, you know, basically it's bad. Yeah. But it always done fine again until last year. Corey Seager stands out as somebody who really struggled against the slit shift out of nowhere last year, 242 batting average against it. Uh, you look at the, the, you know, you've probably seen it written somewhere that he looks like one of the, the players who stands to benefit most from the shift ban. And what's strange about that is, well, he hadn't really struggled against the shift prior to last year. So maybe they just figured out something new with him. But it doesn't matter anymore because obviously the shifts are going away, uh, at least the extreme version of the shifts that so many teams employed against left-handed batters. And so um, I think just looking at his track record, looking at the kind of contact he makes, Corey Seager should pretty easily get that batting average back over, over 300 where we're used to seeing it. If those power gains hold, this may finally be the year where he performed it like a, a second-round player. Yes, I certainly hope so. Uh, and then my last one, Vaughn Grissom. Like it, it really just comes down to like the Braves let Dansby Swanson walk, and they didn't bother to find a replacement shortstop. So they got to have a pretty high opinion of Vaughn Grissom. There's, there've been reports throughout the off season of him working with defensive guru, Ron Washington of Moneyball fame. who's also the Braves third base coach now uh, has been for a few years actually. Um, and the, and, and, you know, rave reviews from Washington and uh, Alex Anthopoulos seems to be taking that seriously because it just looks like they're ready. You know, he's got to actually go out and earn it, but there was a presumption when he got called up last year as, as uh, the, well as he was hitting, that he wouldn't really work as a major league shortstop, even though that was the position he played in the minors. And uh, that assumption seems to be out the window now because they're, they're gearing up to turn, to turn the role over to him. Now, he did fade after that hot start in the majors, but they pushed him pretty hard last year to get to that point, skip AAA and everything. Uh, the minor league track record, very impressive for Vaughn Grissom. Potential five-category contributor with second-base eligibility from last year. So, uh, you know, that's obviously even more valuable than the shortstop eligibility he's going to pick up. Yep, a few things there. Corey Seager, uh, I mentioned the stat earlier with Rowdy Telez with the Sports Info Solutions. Seager lost a league-high 25 hits to the shift last season. If you give him those 25 hits, his batting average would have been 287. His XBA was 283. So again, spot on with those guys who struggled against the shift. I think better days are coming for Corey Seager. Uh, and I agree on Vaughn Grissom. I think there's some power, some speed upside. The ADP is 198. He's kind of this break glass in case of emergency at second base. If you just miss out on everyone else and you just want to take someone with upside, I think Vaughn Grissom is fine for that. A uh, few for me here, Lars Nupar. You know, coming into this, I kind of thought everyone would just have him as a breakout, but <laughs> I guess I was wrong. I, I like him. I like him a lot. The surface level numbers don't do him enough justice. He hit 228 with 14 home runs last year, but massive walk rate, great plate, plate discipline, 14.7% walk rate, sixth best among hitters with 300 plate appearances. And Lars Nupar crushed the ball. Average exit velocity, 90th percentile. Barrel rate, 85th percentile. And like Vinny Pasquantino, 
a young left-handed batter, hit really well against left-handed pitching. Uh, I know there were some rumors teams were trying to acquire Lars Newbar this offseason. Even with all the talent that the Cardinals have, they didn't want to give him up. He's still on the team, uh, so clearly they like him. I know they're crowded, but the cream rises to the top, and I have a lot of faith yep. in Lars Newbar. He's, he's, he's going to be in my breakouts 1.0, too. Yes, yes. Let's go, Scotty. Yes. And the, I'm only, I only mentioned three <laughs> on the podcast, but it's going to be 12 when it's all said and done. Very nice. And if anyone wants to find these, again, cbssports.com slash fantasy slash baseball. We're only talking about... What was that? <laughs> what was that, Scott? That is my automatic cat feeder. I'm going to have to change the timer on that. Oh, all right. I thought... <laughs> I thought there was like a like a robot toy in Scott's house that he just like slapped on the side or something like that. Uh, anyway, we both like Lars Newbar, and I wanted to bring up just one pitcher here who kind of broke out. He, no, he didn't kind of break out. He already broke out. That's Jeffrey Springs. But I think there is another breakout if he can improve on the innings. Because right now I feel like that's the only downside for Jeffrey Springs. But in terms of quality, among pitchers with at least 130 innings pitched last season, Springs ranked 15th in K-minus walk rate and 13th in swinging strike rate. Each of his FIP, XFIP, Sierra, expected ERA, they were all 3.32 or less. The Rays just signed Jeffrey Springs to an extension. They clearly like him. You know, Maybe they push him a little bit more this year, um, but if they do, man, I think uh, a big season could be coming for Jeffrey Springs with an ADP of 175.3 in early drafts. That brings us to bus. So we got about 10 minutes left here, and Scotty will start off with you, your uh, biggest bust of the right. three you provided. So for the for the ones that are really going to agitate people, we gotta gotta rush the explanation. Okay, Michael Harris, bust. Here's the case for Michael Harris as a bust, and and, and let me preface this by saying that you hate Michael Harris. I might have to draft Michael Harris sometimes too because the state of the outfield, particularly in five outfielder leagues, you're kind of forced to see the glass half full and upside for Harris is five category production. We saw it last year. So I, I actually rank him higher than his ADP. But I see a lot of danger here with Michael Harris because he, if, if, you know, if just looking at qualifiers where he ranked, according to Fangraph, second highest ground ball rate. The only one higher is Christian Yelich, and you see how much trouble he's had hitting home runs in recent years. Uh, in fact, of all the players with higher than a 50% ground ball rate, the only other one with an with an ISO over 200 like Harris had last year was Vladimir Guerrero. So is Harris that level of outlier in terms of overcoming a high ground ball rate, which, by the way, was much higher than Guerrero's last year? Uh, that's that's uh, It's scary to bet on that. It's scary to bet on that. Like he's, I feel like between that and the poor plate discipline, he's like the ground ball rate and the poor plate discipline. They have to improve for him to sustain anywhere close to last year's production. Otherwise, he's just this total mathematical unicorn. Um, that is, uh, you know, we're, it's it, it's going to be hard for him to live up to his ADP if that continues. Uh, do you want me to keep going? No, 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 we'll, we'll pause there. Um, we'll okay. get back to your other two, but because I agree with you. I mean, Michael Harris is the the player I'm probably worried about most. 
going inside of the top three rounds. I have him ranked as my 12th outfielder. I want to lower him even more just to kind of make a statement that I'm not going to draft Michael Harris. And maybe he winds up making me look stupid. He was awesome last year. He was ridiculous. He absolutely, you know, near 2020 season in limited playing time, coming straight up from double A. He is really aggressive, near 42% chase rate. 13.8% swinging strike rate. I think that could lead to more strikeouts this year. You mentioned the ground ball rate, Scott. And he was really bad against lefties as a left-handed batter. 238 batting average, 649 OPS. You know, On the other side of that, he was amazing against righties. But I just kind of struggle with the splits, ground ball rate, and that over-aggressiveness. So I'm right there with you, Scotty. Uh, he's probably the player I'm worried about most. Chris, you're up. The biggest bust. For you. Yeah, and, and this is one where you have to preface it by saying that, like, I will draft this player if he falls to a certain point. That's Bobby Witt. I did draft him in a draft we did, I think, two weeks ago or maybe last week because he fell to like 17th overall and I was willing to take him there. But Bobby Witt in NFC drafts has an ADP of like seven. And I just can't justify that. There's always every year there's a young player who put together a really solid season who gets pushed up into the first couple of rounds and drafts. And you look at the last few years, Luis Robert last season, uh, uh, Bo Bichette in 2020, Fernando Tatis in 2019, and then Bobby Witt. And those were the seasons they were coming off of. The thing is, among Luis Robert, Bo Bichette, and Fernando Tatis, and Bobby Witt, Bobby Witt in the prior, prior season to him being pushed up draft boards had the lowest batting average by 53 points, the lowest OBP by 57 points, and the lowest slugging percentage by like 130 points of that group. And he's going higher than any of them. And now partially that's because of the stolen bases and because he's an elite base runner and all those things. But it's also just like he's being drafted to do something that's just really, really asking a lot of him. And I think he could be the best base stealer in baseball. I think he could be a plus hitter at some point. But right now there are just too many holes. There are too many shortcomings in Bobby Witt's game to justify a first round pick. You're taking him over yeah. Shohei Otani and Juan Soto and Mookie Betts. This is not a case against uh, Bobby Witt. I think he's very likely to be a top 50 player this season. And if he's a top 50 player and you take him in the second round, but he steals 38 bases, you're probably pretty okay with that. Even if he doesn't necessarily produce the way you hope he would, but man, a first round pick, like, are we sure he's going to be better this year than Cedric <laughs> Mullins? Or Randy or Rosa Reyna or guys who put up very similar numbers to him last year. Like he could, he's young, he's super talented, obviously, but like this feels like, I don't know. You, you see this a lot where like similar players tend to get grouped together and Julio Rodriguez and Bobby Witt were very similarly ranked last year. And Julio Rodriguez is a first round pick. So, Hey, Bobby Witt's a first round pick. And I just, I don't know. It just, it's too aggressive for me. Late second round. Love it think there's plenty of upside to chase there but first round i just cannot justify it this is totally about the price 722 ops is what poppy yeah. had last year and and like I, no i when i first saw that early adp i like lost my mind on twitter because it was the most <laughs> ridiculous excuse for a first round pick i've ever seen yeah like fernando Tatis wasn't going this high and he was way better as a rookie yeah true fortunately now that we have ADP data from the source other than NFBC, it, it does seem like sanity is beginning to prevail with Bobby <laughs> Witt because his on fan tracks, his early ADP is 29th, which is that's, closer to that's where I great. Rank Bobby Witt. So now his average a ADP among the three sources that uh, 
the Fantasy Pros has up is is 15. That's um, fine. And there's going to be more sources, and hopefully they'll all be lower than than NFBC is as well. And we could we could see that normalize for wit. Yeah, no, I agree. Uh, first round is it, tough to justify. We did that mock draft uh, earlier here on Monday night, and I had the fifth overall pick. So in the second round, that would have been pick 20, 19 or 20. And he went one pick before me, and I was upset. I, I wanted Bobby Witt Jr. You know, I would have started Trey Turner and Bobby Witt. That is a lot of fun. So to get those out-of-position steals for a third baseman for fantasy, it's awesome. Uh, but you know there are still some shortcomings in terms of the batting average and likely the counting stats because he's on the Royals, uh, as we mentioned earlier with Finney Pasquantino. I'll quickly mention two pitchers that I'm just a little bit worried about the price tag right now. I don't think that they're going to bottom out. I just think that maybe they're a little bit overvalued right now. One of them is... Dylan Cease, the strikeouts are amazing. I think that they're going to continue to be amazing, but that walk rate is still rough. 3.8 walks per nine last year, just over four walks per nine for his career. And the second half numbers were kind of troubling for uh, Dylan Cease. 8.7K per nine, that was way down from the first half. Uh, and it's K minus walk rate in that second half, 15%. So nowhere near the ace that he's being drafted to be right now. And Zach Gallon is the other one. Unreal season, especially the second half. There's no doubt about it. And again, if he falls to a certain point, I'll take him as you know a low-end SP2 or high-end SP3. But we need to factor in, he just had a 237 BABIP for all of last season. 263 for his career. And now we've got the shift restrictions coming. I think that's going to lead to more hits on balls in play. Uh, so we're going to see that BABIP climb back up for Zach Gallen. You just need to be realistic. Uh, he just doesn't get a lot of whiffs either. 10% swinging strike rate. I like Zach Allen. I just don't love him as much as it seems like other people uh, are on Zach Allen this season. Scotty, the other two names you wanted to mention as potential busts? All right, so Adolis Garcia, this is probably the the player I'm most actively avoiding this year. I feel like for somebody whose on-base skills are as bad as, as his are, it's pretty amazing he scored 88 runs last year. Uh, so he reached base at a 300 clip, 27 homers, 25 steals, 101 RBI. Like, especially the the runs and the RBI, I just have a hard time believing, even if everything else is the same, that that's going to happen again. And like, he's 30, he's, he's going to be 30 years old before opening day, much older than people realize. So he's kind of already post prime, uh, especially given how much his uh, skill set relies on athletic, uh, athleticism. So I think there's a lot of downside for. Adolis Garcia. Um, and then kind of a different tact here, George Kirby. I just think he's being overrated. Like people are putting the cart before the horse by drafting him as a top 25 or so starting pitcher. Uh, was a top prospect last year. Throws a ton of strikes. Those are the, those are the reasons to like George Kirby. But doesn't you know, have the swings and misses. Yeah, doesn't get the swings. His his swinging strike rate was comparable to Cole Irvin last year, and he allowed more than a hit per inning, so was pretty hittable. It wasn't especially high quality contact, but it was it was enough to think he's not going to just suddenly emerge into this ace like uh, people are drafting George Kirby to do. Uh, I look at the the pitching breakdown. I don't see I don't see a lot there other than the fastball. He throws other pitches, but doesn't get great results with them. And um, while it's possible he takes a step forward with that, 
I, I think starting pitching is deep enough, especially at the high end, that you shouldn't have to you shouldn't have to take that kind of leap on a George Kirby the way people are. Yeah, George Kirby is, was a tough rank for me too, for the reasons you mentioned, Scott. I love the control. I mean, that is the calling card for George Kirby. He's got a really good fastball, but where are the other whiffs coming? I, I looked at his secondary pitches, and you know, none of them had a high whiff rate. None had high swinging strike rates, so it doesn't mean it won't come. Like he clearly could just develop in the off season, and you know, maybe maybe the slider is awesome or a curveball or whatever he's he's got going on, um, and that kind of helps the whiffs take off this year. But uh, as of now, it, it's just kind of hard to project it, and it seems like that's what many people are doing when it comes to uh, George Kirby. Chris, a few other busts here that you have before we wrap up. Yeah, MJ Melendez, I can definitely see the case for him. This is much more about the price. He's another guy in that same draft where I took Bobby Wood. I actually took MJ Melendez because instead of going in the top 100 where he's been in NFC drafts, he went like 135th or something. And it's a lot easier to justify that. You know, I was able to pair him with Alejandro Kirk. That's a really cool pairing at the catcher position because you have someone who can make up for MJ Melendez being a big batting average drag. And I think he's likely to be a big batting average drag. There's a, there's a chance he gets to the 240 to 250 range and you can live with it. And obviously if he plays a lot of outfield and DH, you're going to get a lot of counting stats relative to other catchers, but like catchers who hit 220 and 20 with 20 to 25 home runs, that's not that hard to find. It's certainly not worth paying a premium for. And that's what you're doing. You're expecting him to make, take a big step forward. And I just, I don't necessarily think he's ready for that yet. The other guy for me, I love Tyler Glass now. I love watching him pitch. He's incredible. I think he's going to be one of the best pitchers in baseball. When he's on, he's very rarely not on. When he's on, he's as good as anybody. He has a 305 ERA and a 34% strikeout rate since getting to Tampa Bay. The problem is he's thrown 268 innings across five seasons since getting to Tampa Bay. He's had one season basically where he didn't have injury issues, and that was 2020, the shortened season. You can say, okay, the sticky stuff ban, and, and that was why he blew out his elbow in 2021. Given his history, especially with elbow and forearm issues, I don't necessarily know if it's quite a clear cut, you know, this was the reason. It might have just been something that was bound to happen. And I just, I can't pay, you know, a top 80 pick for a guy or a top 90 pick, whatever it is, for a guy who just has not been able to stay healthy. Uh, it's been placed on the IL with the following injuries, right shoulder missed a month, right forearm missed four months, right elbow missed 15 months with Tommy John surgery. Maybe the surgery fixed it. I think he's going to be really good when he's on the mound. I just don't think he's going to be on the mound enough to justify his price. Wait, Chris, you're fading a player for injury reasons. Yeah. Yeah. When it's, when it's repeated arm injuries for a pitcher who throws 99 miles an hour. Yeah. I think that's a reasonable enough uh, thing. This is not Byron Buxton keeps running into the wall <laughs> slash his teammates. You know, this is this is a pitcher doing a very violent pitching motion who keeps getting hurt. I think that's a reasonable thing to be skeptical of. Yeah, that's fair. It's a little tongue in cheek there. The early ADP for Tyler Glass now is 87 as the 28th starting pitcher off the board. I think Glass now versus Robbie Ray is a very real conversation. They're going back-to-back picks. Uh, do you guys have an early lean on those two? I can't say I necessarily love either of them. Um, right. I think I'd probably go with Glass now in that position just because I, I don't see much reason to be excited about Robbie Ray, but it kind of depends on what I have so far, I guess. 
Sky, but I just I think I go Ray. I kind of don't, don't love that miss. range at starting pitcher. Like I don't love Tristan McKenzie's price. I don't love Robbie Ray's price. I don't really love George Kirby's price. So I probably just kind of skip that range. Yeah, I've been doing that too. I've I usually wind up with two of the top twenty five starters, and then I take a little break and I uh, jump back in on you know Lance Lynn and Jesus Lazardo and, and and all those fun guys. So um, well, I don't know how many times. Lance Lynn's been referred to as fun, but uh, I just did it. So there you go. Uh, we're going to wrap Lance there. I'm going to draft a lot of Len this year. Yeah, I think he's going Underrated. Yes, I think he's underrated as well. If you want to read about more players, sleepers, breakouts, and busts, again, cbssports.com slash fantasy slash baseball. We're going to wrap there. For Scott and Chris, I am Frank. Thank you all for listening and watching Fantasy Baseball today. We'll be back again tomorrow. Bye-bye. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can waste another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can conquer it. I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. Any road. The steeper, the better. Because my all-new Santa Fe is available with H-Track all-wheel drive, so I can hit the trail without a worry in the world. Heck, with three rows and best-in-class rear cargo space, I can pack the whole family in with all our gear. We've got available dual wireless charging for our phones, so we'll never lose touch with civilization, and we won't lose touch with the primordial power of Mother Earth. So which is it? Waste the weekend or do something a little more epic? And conquer it in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai. There's joy in every journey.